During lockdown, my housemate and I have got into the habit of cycling to Port Melbourne Beach because it falls within our 5K zone, and so it became one of our regular destinations. And we found a route that had a bike path most of the way and was lined with pretty trees. And after a while, we didn't have to think about where we were going because we knew the way to our destination. Then about a month ago, we were on our way to the beach and there were these signs saying, path closed, bike detour. There was no physical barrier that we could see on the path that we usually took, but the signs were bright yellow and very clear. And they pointed in a different direction to the one we were used to taking. Now, what do you think that you would do in this situation? Would you follow the signs? That would be the sensible option, right? But what did I do? I chose to continue on the path I normally take, past the signs and around the Bendy Bridge, and where do you think it led me? It led to a dead end. The signs were telling the truth, the path was closed, I had to turn around and go back and follow the signs along the detour. And eventually we made it to the beach. As I tell this story, I know how ridiculous it sounds. Why would I ignore such clear signs? Maybe it's because I'm stubborn, or I like what I know, or I don't trust the signs. Maybe there's some other reason. Whatever it is, it doesn't make a lot of sense. As nonsensical as it is, I was free to ignore those signs. That was my choice. But in the end, the signs proved to be telling the truth. The path was closed, and no matter how much I wanted to take that particular path to Port Melbourne, it just wasn't an option open to me. Well, we're back in a sermon series on John's Gospel, and one of the things that John does in his Gospel is he tells stories about the signs that Jesus did. The sign in John chapter 9 shows Jesus giving sight to a man who has been blind since his birth. Did you imagine yourself as one of those people in the passage as it was being read? Imagine being one of the neighbours, or the man's parent, or one of Jesus' disciples. Maybe, like the neighbours, you would find yourself doubting that it could possibly be the same man that you'd seen all those years sitting and begging. Maybe you would be curious, like the disciples, about whether the man's blindness was the result of someone's sin. In verse 3, Jesus says that the reason for this man's blindness is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. If we want to know whether sin and suffering are connected, we have to look elsewhere in the Bible because we aren't going to find the answer here. Here, in John 9, we are going to see the works of God displayed in this man who was blind and is healed. And as we look at this man and these works displayed in him, we will see the choice that we are each given. John says in chapter 20, verse 31, that he has recorded these signs in his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What we hear in John is written to help us make a choice about who Jesus is and to have life in him. John has put the works of God on display for us to see. So I invite you to look with me at these works of God that are on display in the blind man. The most obvious work that God displays in this man is giving him physical sight. But the more significant work of God displayed in this passage is the spiritual sight 
that the man receives. Spiritual sight is more significant in the long run because it leads to life, whereas spiritual blindness is a dead end. In chapter 9, verse 41, it says that those who claim to see but who ignore the signs remain in guilt and they experience judgment. But more than one work of God is displayed in this man. And as we look at these works of God on display, we grow in our understanding of who God is. We see that God's works are inclusive. We see that God's works invite our participation. God's works empower truth-telling, even in the face of great pressure. And all of God's works are done through Jesus and result in his worship. We'll also see that the works of God are both physical and spiritual. Well, I'm not sure if you felt yourself react as you heard this story read. I actually find this quite an emotional story in John 9, and I think that's for many reasons. But the bit in verse 6 about Jesus making mud with his saliva and putting it on the man's eyes makes the nurse in me cringe. But probably what made John's listeners react would have been the fact that Jesus touched an unclean person. Using saliva in healing was quite normal in Jesus' day, but making yourself ritually unclean, that was shocking. And the reality was that being physically excluded from society was the same as being spiritually excluded. Unclean people couldn't worship in the temple, they couldn't offer sacrifice, they couldn't celebrate in the holy festivals. In other words, they couldn't get close to God. So in being the recipient of Jesus' touch, the blind man displays God's work of including people back in his family. It is a physical inclusion which symbolises his spiritual inclusion. And what we can take from this for ourselves is that poverty, illness and social distancing do not remove people from God's sight or his care. Then in verse 7, Jesus tells the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Here, Jesus invites a man to participate in his own healing through following Jesus' instructions. The man could have refused to do what Jesus said, but verse 7 says, So the man went and washed and came home seeing. God's work displayed in the man here is God's invitation to us to participate in his work of restoration. The man's physical act of washing in the pool displays his acceptance of God's invitation through being obedient to what Jesus has told him to do. And it symbolizes his trust in Jesus' power to heal him. Our obedience displays the work of God in us. Another of the works of God, which we see displayed in this man, is his commitment to the truth, even under pressure. This commitment is physically displayed in the man's verbal testimony about what Jesus has done for him. And it's also displayed in his preparedness to be thrown out by the Pharisees. And again, this verbal action of his symbolises the spiritual sight that the man has received. And we see this at different times in the story. First, the man testifies to his neighbours that the one they call Jesus is the one who healed him. At that point in the story, he hasn't seen Jesus. He has only heard him speak and felt him put mud on his eyes. But still he says in verse 11 that it is the man they call Jesus who is responsible for his sight. Then the man is taken to Pharisees 
And he says that Jesus has healed him by putting mud on his eyes and he calls Jesus a prophet. This statement, which we see in verse 17, shows the man testifying to his belief that Jesus has been sent by God to speak and to act for God just like the prophets did. John wants us to be thinking about this question, who sent Jesus? This is why he tells us that Siloam means sent in verse 7. And why in verse 16, John tells us that the Pharisees were divided over whether Jesus was from God or was a sinner. And why in verse 29, John records the Pharisees um, saying that we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. John wants his listeners to ask themselves, where did Jesus come from? Who sent him? Do we agree with this blind man who has been healed, that Jesus is a prophet sent from God. Well, after the Pharisees have grilled the man's parents, they call the man back a second time, and this time they put pressure on the man to change his story. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they say in verse 24. We know that this man is a sinner. This expression, give glory to God, is actually an insult. They don't believe the man's story, and they think they can threaten him by suggesting that he is lying to God. Not only does a man have to decide whether he will oppose the religious authorities, but we know from verse 22 in the conversation that the Pharisees have with this man's parents that the Pharisees have threatened people with excommunication if they say that Jesus is the Messiah. I said earlier that this story makes me emotional, and this is part of the reason why. This man has just received his sight after a lifetime of being blind. He has just been made eligible to re-enter Jewish society, to be able to go back to the temple and to worship with his fellow neighbours. And now the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this community, are threatening to kick him out of society again. It's a cruel twist in the story. It's such an abuse of their power. How are they not rejoicing with this man in his healing? I read this and I think, I hope I am never so arrogant. And yet, I also know that I'm sure there have been times where I have cared more about the rules or whether something is right than I've cared about stopping to celebrate what God is doing with someone. Well, if the man is facing excommunication, then he has good reason to fear the Pharisees and to fudge the truth. And so his speech, his physical testimony, displays God's work in him and his spiritual sight. Verse 27 says, He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? and they threw him out. The man displays God's empowering work, enabling him to hold to the truth, even though it results in his being thrown out of community again. And the truth that the healed man has come to see, 
which is the great work of God displayed in him, is his acceptance that Jesus is the Son of Man. This is what Jesus calls himself in verse 35. The man's spiritual sight has led him to accept that a man who can heal him from blindness cannot be a sinner but must be from God. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, the healed man is quick to accept it. Son of Man sounds like a strange title, but it's one that you can find in the prophet Daniel. In chapter 7 in Daniel, it says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority glory and sovereign power, all peoples, nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is claiming to be someone who has been in God's presence, who has been given authority, glory and power over all things and whose dominion will never end. And in hearing this, the healed man has faith to worship Jesus. The man's physical and spiritual worship of Jesus is God's work displayed in him. Faith in Jesus is what it means to have spiritual sight. It is through Jesus that God includes people in his kingdom. It is through Jesus and the spirit of Christ that God invites our trusting participation in his works of restoration. It is through Jesus that God empowers us to hold to the truth, even under pressure. It is through Jesus and the spirit he has given us that we worship God. And all this is because it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that we see God's works most perfectly displayed. God's works displayed in the man are his faith in Jesus Christ. The flip side of this story is that those who think they see but who willfully reject Jesus, like the Pharisees did, are judged as being guilty of sin. In John 9, verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. When it comes to our morality or spirituality, we don't like the idea of judgment. But think back to my bike trip again. I chose to ignore the words that were on the sign. And instead, I chose to think that I knew the way to the destination better than the signs. And the consequence was that I ended up at a dead end, not the destination I wanted to reach. No one forced me there, but if you were to judge between what the signs had to say about the path to my destination and what I had to say about the path to my destination, in that instance you would judge the signs to be right and my word to be wrong. John records Jesus in chapter 12, verses 47 to 49, saying, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. 
for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We can ignore Jesus' words. It is our choice. But like the signs on the path that I chose to ignore, in the end, it is Jesus' words which will judge whether we knew what we were doing, whether we knew how to reach the destination or not. Everything Jesus said and did was from God, from the one who ordered the universe and gave us a destination, which is eternal life with him. And the way to that destination is by following the path Jesus took, by being inclusive, by bringing people into God's family, by participating in God's works of restoration, by telling the truth about Jesus even under pressure, and by worshipping God through Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus that leads to life. So what do you see when you look at Jesus? Who do you think sent him? And what will you choose in response to these signs.